0: Welcome to the Unbillable Hour. I
1: am your host, Christopher Aderson. and today's episode is about production. Kind of. Uh, what we're talking about today is something different um, for the Unbillable Hour. We're going we're to get a little techie, but it's important. It's really important because part of production um, in this business of ours is protecting our clients' data in every state of the union. It is part of the uh, code of professional conduct of Duty of safekeeping, you know. So protecting our clients' data, their information, their confidences is part of our job, and part of what we have to do really, really well. There are so many ways that data can be at risk, and um, you know, I don't want to leave the impression with this show that it's all the high tech stuff. You know, it's unlocked file cabinets, it's uh, stuff left on desks when the cleaning staff is in, but. This is one area that's really vulnerable that we're going to talk about today that people don't talk about much. And so I'm really glad um, and and excited to have our guest that we can speak to and learn from about this stuff. So we're going to talk about those. And I'll just, as a reminder, in the Unbillable Hour, we talk about things in the main triangle. That is what a law firm business must do. We got to acquire new clients. We call that acquisition. We produce the results that you promised them. That's called production. And we achieve business and professional results for you and That is called the owner, right? But so today we're going to talk about that part of the production because one of the promises we give to our clients is that we will keep their confidences confidential and their privileges privileged and their data secure. And so we're going to talk about securing your clients and your data. And my guest today is Rich Hale. Rich is the chief technology officer of ActiveNav. We'll learn all about that. And today's episode of The Unbillable Hour is securing the Unstructured Castle. So I, I, like, I like to think about this. Like usually, you know, we think, okay, we got to secure the castle. We've got a moat, we put up some walls, we've got a drawbridge, maybe we've got some boiling oil to pour over the ramparts. But the unstructured castle. It's like protecting the outskirts, like the, the little houses and the people walking around. And how do we protect all of that? It's not in a central place where we can just kind of build a wall around it. Um, that's, that's Let's see if Rich <laughs> agrees with my analogy. Uh, but let's, So let's just start talking to him. I'm pleased to introduce my guest, Rich Hale. He's the CTO of ActiveNav. Um, he focuses there on developing their market-leading file analysis software. Um, prior to that, he spent 16 years in the Royal Air Force um, as an engineer officer going around the world, including Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Canada, the United States even. Um, And he's a product and information evangelist with experience hard-won through many years developing information governance programs in enterprise and government agencies. Just so we can listen to him with some level of credibility, uh, he's got a B of engineering, uh, honors in the aeronautic Aeronautical engineering from London University, as well as an MBA from the British Open University. Rich, I have completely bungled your intro, but nevertheless, welcome to the show.
2: Hey, uh, thanks, Chris. Um, I'm not right out the intro. I'm still, uh, I'm still interested in your castle analogy, so I'm going to lean <laughs> on that as we go okay. forward. I think.
1: Good. <laughs> Super. So, you know, just to get started, you know, I gave, I gave the stuff that's you know, pulled obviously from your commercial bio, but help our folks understand what led you into the business uh, worrying about thinking about solving for um information government governance and uh, being a part of ActiveNav.
2: yeah the link's a little obscure chris um i'll try and make it quickly um as you said uh, my professional background is as an aircraft engineer in the royal air force leading uh, teams of engineers around the world um in fighting and surveillance um with the 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 british military's um, air power however um I got involved in a procurement project that led me into the US. Um, I learned in procurement that I was better at change than engineering. Um, And some of the biggest changes that organizations are involved in these days are technology and information. And strangely enough, I found myself in the RAF's Information Transformation Program. And long story short, for the active nav story is I learned in information change that you really can't deal with anything until you understand your data. And so I was looking for a solution to understand my data holdings in the air force headquarters. And, um, I met a young software company, um, which provided some capabilities that I thought were relevant. And, um, I liked it so much, I joined the company. I guess my my CEO would say that's Gillette-like. I'm not quite sure. That's <laughs> that, that, that's the short story, Chris. Um, and, yeah. and here we are. I I, I would say um, for me, what what really got me passionate about all this is I very quickly learned how far behind the curve all organisations were back then, and really still are in terms of this understanding and managing data. It seems so obvious so many are so far behind. So, uh, that, that travesty is one that I still get excited about, um, seeking to address.
1: Yeah. And even before, so who does who does active Nav serve? Like who are the clients that, uh, you all pay attention to?
2: Yeah. Large and small enterprises. And really it's what we call a horizontal position, um, proposition, uh, Chris, uh, you know, any organization, all organizations, um, really need our, our capabilities. Um, but, but, but truthfully speaking, um, those that care about regulation are highly regulated tend to buy first. And also those that are very forward-thinking and have um, advanced um, the way they consider their data management um, care about us as well. We, we like to, the motto, or the, our North Star is, is, is zero dark data. And essentially that talks about how organizations should, should be seeking to have no dark data. They should understand it all. And so you can see how regulated um, organizations as well as um, those looking, to get value out of their information um, get to know us
1: okay well then let's let's just start there because I've thrown out a couple of terms honestly that I learned about from your stuff before the show Um, and now you've thrown out another term so let's let's explain to everybody what we're talking about so let's start first of all with the term unstructured data because the thing that struck me is like it's It's a lot of it is stuff we don't even think about as having data, right? Like, you know, we're not talking about, oh, I've got this super secret Excel spreadsheet or I've got this database that I've got need to secure. What are we talking about with unstructured data?
2: Yeah, I, I think you can get too technical about that. With respect, Chris, I don't mean mean you. One can get too technical on this one. You, one can talk about an Excel spreadsheet, for example, as being kind of structured or semi-structured. Um, so I like to reframe it a little bit. I like to think about user-generated data, stuff that users throw around the, um, the, the organization, and that can be structured and it can be unstructured, but broadly speaking, it's away from an application or a database, and it flows through email, it flows in your file shares, your Dropbox, your Box, your Google Workspace, your... Um, your SharePoint, you, you, in all of those places, and it happens outside of process. I think that's the other really important thing. You know, uh, often one manages data flows through uh, reasonably well prescribed processes, but this is the interaction, the innovation, the the to and from, the non transactional work where you, know, I, I send you a note, you send one back, you you attach it to a Slack message, they put it into an email, and then your friend takes it and modifies it and blah blah blah. That to me is where the unstructured world comes because it, you can pick up any given object, any given document. You don't know what's in there. You have no idea, and um, and really all bets are off. And what strikes me is like we're creating gigabytes of it daily. I mean, we're just contributing. We
1: are creating more and more and more of that um, without even realizing we're doing it. And that's that's what kind of came to me. is like, wow, you know, it's like just communicating. It used to be we'd communicate and we'd create one ob- – you called it an object. I like that. One object, a letter. Or we we'd create zero objects because we'd have a conversation. But now we're always creating – a bunch of objects. I mean, even this interview, right? This interview, we're going to have uh, the audio recordings from you. We'll have audio recordings from me. We'll have audio recordings at Legal Talk Network. I've got a document with notes. You probably have a document with notes. We've had six emails back and forth about this. You know, all about this one transaction, and so it's just just exploded how much data we create for one transaction.
2: And it happens on the sidelines, Chris. As well, you yeah. made the point earlier on that people kind of don't see what they're doing, and I think that's really quite important. I think it's a great source of innovation. Um, it, it, it is, and it, but the problem is innovation. You you don't design innovation. Innovation it happens organically, yeah. Yeah. and that's part of these features of, of this user generated data and why it can be so challenging. But I'm I'm sure we'll come onto that later on. You know, from, from from my perspective, when you're generating so much in such a or such an organic way, that's why I like the term zero dark data because that data is inherently dark almost as soon as you create it and we should be seeking to do better than that
1: yeah so that's the other one i was going to ask you about because that's actually a new <laughs> term on me what is
2: dark data and why do we want to have zero of it dark data for me uh, and, and from from our organizations north star is 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 anything that um it doesn't kind of readily declare itself. I'm going to be a bit careful about that, but you know, you go into um, a Salesforce or an application, it kind of declares itself by the label on the tin. The dark data concerns all of the other stuff. I got into a discussion where we were talking about the dark web, um, which really is a different thing. I don't want to confuse yeah, yeah, it, but, yeah. but essentially the dark web being a place where exchanges in data and data moves around in a wholly unknown way. But that you know, organizations create dark data all the time because, because they... As I said earlier, it happens organically, it's and there's no label on the tin. and And so we think it describes neatly that an organisation should at least seek to understand it. You don't have to entirely remove it, but we'll come back to that. It's about the understanding of where it lies, what's driving it, the reasons why it's being driven, what what interactions make it happen, so that one can better define the organization's stance towards it. You know, in, in a way, you know, we create sensitive data all the time, and that's just fine. It's part of our business. But um, if one doesn't understand that you create it, and if one doesn't understand why, you, you really can't protect it and adequately manage it.
1: Can you give me just one example? Because, like, I'm from the way you described it. I'm wondering: Are you talking about metadata? Or are you talking about something else? So what's a, what's a good example of something that's dark data?
2: Oh, I, I think as soon as you take this recording and the notes that go with it, and then save it onto a, um, and I could use an organizational, you'll you'll save it into into a particular location. You might put it into a repository of record. At that point, it's probably not dark, it's probably well labeled, but you may well forget to delete it from your server, or you may pass it on to a friend. That's just the example of the one we're in today. Um, so, so essentially the 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 fact that any organizer, any individual kind of it's it's ephemeral, it's a work in progress, it's a transitory thing. And as soon as the work is done, it's usually left behind. And that user doesn't go and tidy it up. They don't go and delete it. Do you delete stuff? Most people don't. Yeah, and and yeah. then and then the person you send it to forgets about it as well. And so it's not so much that data is in itself inherently dark. It's the process and the lack of organization and management around it, which makes it dark in the round. And if you want, you you and I are talking about an individual transaction, but why don't we scale that up to an acquisition or a merger right. when one acquires right. swaths of data? It's dark almost immediately. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. And, and of
1: course, in our attorney world, another great example then would be uh, e discovery. You know, when we, do, when we do discovery, we get, you know, hundreds of gigabytes. What's, what's above a giga? Um, <laughs> a, a, <laughs> a <terabyte>. next. <Tera-next. laughs> yeah, we get terabytes of, of data and we look at a teensy, teensy fraction of it at the end of the day. We have programs and algorithms pour over it to tell us what we should look at. And yeah, you're right. Then the rest of it's just dark, but yeah, it just sits there. So that's a great example. All right. You know what? We have gone through the entire first segment. So we're going to hear from our sponsors here. And then when we come back, I want to talk about like what some examples of what's happened out there that should kind of bring this home to to say, yeah, we should be concerned. And then what we should be doing about it. But first, we'll hear a word from the folks who make this show possible. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at Staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I.cc, and get $500 off with code Happy24. Nearly 80% of people search for lawyers online. They visit websites and check reviews. If your site doesn't appear in the top search results or it presents poorly, you risk losing clients. That's why you must know how your firm stacks up on Google against the competition. See how your reviews impact clients' decisions and how you can get better results from your site. Get an unbiased marketing performance report in under a minute right now at Grow Law Firm. And that's growlawfirm.com unbillable. Once again, growlawfirm.com unbillable. All right. Welcome back to the Unbillable Hour. I'm talking with Rich Hale, and we've been talking about dark data. We've been talking about unstructured data and and basically getting our legs under us as to what that stuff is. Um, But so now, Rich, I'd like to ask you about why we should be worried about it. So I think you're aware of some instances where things have gone Poorly, uh, You want to just talk about those and what, what could have been done and what could be done in the future to prevent that from happening to well, let's say let's pick someone really important. Me to prevent it from happening to me
0: yeah
2: I, I think, um I mean, wow, the answer is huge. Um I, I'll pick up a couple of elements there. I, I think there's certainly very technical things that most people talk about, bolting the doors um, and, and you, know, so we have organizations can implement things like um data loss prevention, um data access management, and and those are the sort of the technical capabilities for controlling and securing the network. But I think, um, I would recommend to most organizations that one also needs to complement that with a couple of other key elements. I always like to talk about um, mindset and training. This is a double-edged sword. Having been through ISO certification or security certifications myself, it's easy to get focused on the technical pieces. Um, I think um, in any organization, mindset and training is, is the ground zero. But the, the double-edged sword to that is it doesn't solve everything. Users are necessarily distracted every day. And so one needs a really comprehensive training program. And one needs to sort of make sure that users understand their responsibilities for protecting data um, and and enacting good data stewardship. And I I talked about users, that's the individual. I also think um, organizations need a a good, strong set of data stewardship approaches as well. And what I mean by that is recognition that um, functional leads are responsible for managing and securing the data that that they generate. And that 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 sort of that creates the sort of the sense of ownership and stewardship around an organization. I also think then organizations need to put in place um, approaches which enable them to monitor and understand that unstructured data. What I recommend is that organizations don't stop or curtail that generation. You and I talked about the way data is created organically. You, you, you mustn't stand in the way of that. Rather, one needs to put some common sense blocks in place. I talked about the technologies for that. But I think one also needs to ensure that one monitors that data in and of itself so that one can see how it's being used around an organization. And you, I think the area you can make, and I'll give you an example, is to say to, to Chris, I'm sorry, Chris, you can't send that email. You can't do that. And Chris goes, hold on a minute, I've got to leave. I've got a meeting in five minutes. I've got to send it, and and you'll find a workaround. So I don't yep. think those sorts of blocks uh, are, are, are so helpful. I think one there there are exceptions, and th- th- those are many of those. But in the general case, I think one needs to put in place monitoring measures to to ensure that one can monitor where data is being stored, the nature of that data, um, and, and maintain a, a good sense of uh, the inventory of the assets that the um, that the organisation holds, and and build a practice that's um practice around keeping an eye on the way that data moves around the organisation organization. Um, that, that, that enables the organization to build and monitor and sort of understand how its policies actually work. Is is you know, where, where are new practices emerging? Um, where, where do we need to account for those in certain types of policy? What measures do we need to put in place that aren't working? That, that, that's my sort of brief summary. We could talk forever about those message, measures, I think.
1: Sure. But so let's, one of the things I think, one of the dangers, quite honestly, I think, is that, you know, when we hear about this, you know my awareness, and most of our listeners' awareness of data breaches comes when we learn that you know. I, I, I'm not. Let's just be clear. I'm now going to say names that I have no idea if they've had data breaches or not. But like we, when we hear that Target has had a data breach of its credit card information, or the Bank of X has had a data breach of its customers' information, or the government has had a data breach of of social security information. Like we we hear about these large organizations, and it, and our my analysis usually is well, yeah, the hackers are going after these big giant corporations because they're just like there's these treasure troves of data that are really valuable for them. You know, they'll go after credit card companies, they'll go after banks. They might even go after AmLaw 100 firms because their 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 clients' data, you know, Exxon's data, Boeing's data might be very very valuable. And we don't hear about you know. Abel and Jones law firm across the street as having a problem. We don't hear about data breaches for a, a 10 lawyer firm or a 30 lawyer firm. We hear about these big giant firms. How is this relevant? And can you give us some examples of some things that have happened to smaller businesses? And why
2: well, why would hackers even be targeting these smaller businesses? That's a really interesting question, Chris. Um, you know, I'm honestly going to struggle to give you a small business example, Chris, now I'm thinking about this in such a specific way. I think a small organization needs to worry about its client relationships. And I think whatever the organization, um, however valuable that might not seem to the onlooker, that relationship between um, any small firm and its um, clients is is critical. And so these days, I think the... The, um, the reality is it's not if, but it's when when data gets breached. And hackers, threat actors, are looking to secure a ransom from the firm or some sort of payment from the firm for the threat of exposing that data in some way, shape, or form. And so I, I think I- increasingly all organizations need to consider that it's likely they're going to get breached. I mean, it wouldn't be, uh, I think, out of place to sort of um, – Mentioned that active has been breached. Um, you know, we and we dealt with that. We're a small small company. We dealt with that. It's, it's just it's, it's just fine. Um, we dealt with that appropriately. But um, the threat actor was seeking to cause us some financial disadvantage, and um, it will be the same with any small organisation. And so. Can be critical for a small organisation. It, it can feel literally life and death, and so suddenly the, the dollar signs don't do it justice. Um, and and so the, the first question is: um, A, did we get breached? B, what got breached, and what's the size of our liability? I think. That that world of unknown in in that moment of unknown, the the extent to which an organisation is willing to almost do anything to protect their reputation, right, to, 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 is it could, can place an enormous pressure both on the management and also cause cause um, the the organisation to be be ready to pay quite a significant um, ransoms to to correct.
1: Yeah, over. so I, I, yeah, I want to emphasise like what you're saying because I think it's important. In like at the beginning of the show, you talked about how mindset is important when again when most people think about data breach they think about oh the hackers went after bank of x because there's financial information which is inherently valuable they can get you know you were talking about the dark web they can get money they can get they can monetize this data that they've stolen but with these small law firms it's right, what you're talking about is the data itself might have some monetary value but that's not the point The point is that these firms do not – like we're – these firms, my firm, is in the business of protecting people's data. We don't want it out in the world that we have dealt with their data irresponsibly. We don't want it out in the world that we're vulnerable. And so these hackers will attack just for the ransom. The data itself doesn't even have to be valuable. It's the reputation that they're threatening um, and that they will ransom, uh, giving back the data so that the firms can protect their reputation and not have the loss. Um, am I getting that right? Is that is that one
2: of the concerns? Yeah, that, no, fundamentally, I think when when you boil it down to the small, and that's why I pause for a second. And, and you know, I use the particular example. You know, uh, it, it's it becomes existential almost for the business. Yeah. Um, because it, it it's very personal between the client and the organization. You know, in a software company, and uh, but in a law firm, it's all about down to that reputation. And so I think that liability is. Massive, and um, when one realizes one doesn't know what's been breached, I think that 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 opens up the sort of an enormous realm of possibilities.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's. I got to tell you, like when you also talk about mindset, it just reminds me. It's a story I tell frequently, but um, yeah, I I consult with other law firms, and I actually sometimes go on site, and I'll go somewhere where they've spent a large amount of money making sure their servers are secure maybe even you know they're in a in a you know super secure facility or they've even moved them to a uh, central uh, data data center where their security is even higher and they have antivirus and they have anti malware and all you know and, and they're worried about phishing attacks and all these things. like they've done all this tech stuff and I will walk to the front desk because the front desk is where the receptionist set and they they rotate and so they've got the password for the computer on a sticky note on the monitor,
2: right? <laughs> there you go. I mentioned people in training just now, yeah. Yeah,
1: or or I'll see. You know, I'll walk around attorneys' offices and I'll see thumb drives just sitting on the desk, and you know things like that. So it's it, it's you know the the high tech stuff, and then there's just the the gaping holes that that if we don't have the right mindset. So now we've spent the second segment telling people what the problems are, and uh, what I'd love to do now is come back um, after this. Last break and talk about the proactive protection measures that law firms should be thinking about to do a better job to protect their clients' data to protect themselves. Um, but after this last word from our sponsors, simplify with CosmoLex, the only fully integrated practice management solution. Everything you need, accessible anywhere. CosmoLex's money finder reminds you about billable items, so there's no time tracking, and you don't need. QuickBooks, Trust and General Accounting, Invoicing and Payments, all built in. Because everything is integrated, Cosmolex's advanced reporting makes it simple to know your numbers and make smarter decisions. Get a free trial and take 20% off your first year at Cosmolex.com. LawClerk's nationwide network of talented freelance lawyers is trusted by thousands of law firms. Solo attorneys and firms can get help with the project-based work and also ongoing work via a subscription. Sign up is free and there are no monthly fees. You only pay when you delegate work. Plus, Law Clerk has a new app for your mobile device to help you manage the work you've delegated while you're on the go. Be sure to use referral code UNBILLABLE when you sign up at lawclerk.legal. Welcome back to the Unbillable Hour. We are having a conversation with Rich Hale, um, the Chief Technology Officer of ActiveNav. And during the show so far, we've talked about what is unstructured data and dark data. And that, that, for me, that was really fascinating because I don't think about the dark data or I haven't been. Now I'm going to think about it constantly. And hopefully, so are you. Um, and then we talked about you know why smaller businesses small firms might be the subject and need to be concerned about this um, and so now that we've got you good and scared we are going to spend this uh, last uh, little bit of time together talking about what can we what should we be doing about it from a mindset perspective I want to make sure we hit that rich and also what should we be doing about it from a data protection perspective you know technology perspective so let, let's, let's just start there rich what should a small firm be thinking about um, in order to do a better job or do a good job of protecting their unstructured and or dark data.
2: Yeah, I um I want to start by kind of uh, characterizing a response I heard some time ago which I think uh, talked about exactly what organizations shouldn't be doing. Um, okay. I had a, and, and I was surprised it came out of a law, a, a, a lawyer um, a lawyer's mouth actually. He or she said to me um, it's all about plausible deni- deniability rich. If I don't know, it's a problem that I don't have to do anything about it. And it actually, on reflection, struck me as a very legal response to the to the position. I think increasingly, when we talked earlier, we talked about reputation. I think increasingly, that's becoming untenable. I think putting one's head in the sand is not neither acceptable for the client uh, or, or 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 the regulators. Um, I think that's where I'd start. And I think one has to get over the challenge that. Ignoring it and it's too difficult is is acceptable.
1: Yeah, and I'll, well, I'll I'll just pile on there. If anybody <laughs> if anybody thinks that way, that's listening right now, please look at the Model Rules of Professional Conduct 1.1 and your duty of of technology uh, of knowing technology and being familiar with it. Um, I think that that plausible deniability is fading fast. But uh, yeah, please continue, Rich.
2: I do hope so. But it was a real a real response to a real. I mean, a customer call actually yeah, is quite it. interesting, yeah. you know. Um, and and the, the the problem is it's hard. It, it's tough. So we talked about user training. I do think that's really important. Um, I, I thought we talked earlier about um, you know, organizations um, not getting in the way of their users. And so the problem is users generate sensitive data all the time. They can't be relied to recognize even when they're doing it, let alone protect it. So they, they, they share data, they move it around the organization. And so from our perspective, the the need to sort of build and maintain some sort of practice of monitoring those practices, monitoring, uh, take turning those activities and make them not dark. I'm not dark. I mentioned zero dark data. You know, how, how can an organization implement um, technology and a practice that, that monitors their uh, their networks, their, their email, their um, file shares, their collaboration environments and monitors it for the sensitive data that users are generating and, and builds a, a capability in the organization such that the the, that the, the data, the way data is used around the organisation is continually um, uh, watched. We, we used to talk in the air force about um, kind of the weekly um, health check on data. You know, sure. um, yeah, the, the 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 core of the organisation generating a capability in in the CIO's office or whomever, where one offers the. Um, Business functions a chance to say, "Yeah, you you generated these types of data in these areas. Are you sure that's good? Is that is that appropriate for your part of the business? Is that does that we we think that's kind of a challenge of our policies we've got in place?"
1: That absolutely makes sense. You know, as you were saying that, it's like you know, it just occurs to me, like when you're thinking about that mindset, like we used to have a file cabinet, right? And the file cabinet would get full, and so we'd have to like if we didn't have a program of culling it out and throwing out the uh, the stuff we don't need anymore we'd at least be faced with the damn thing so full we have to do some cleaning, right? And we get rid of stuff we don't need. And I, I want to
2: be clear, sorry, Chris, it comes along, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I got excited. No. It, no, it, no, it, it's in addition to defending the perimeters, yeah you know, people are investing money in defending the premises That's kind of why I'm not talking about it too much it's kind of you can go read a book about that um, you know it, it is what happens to the data inside the organization uh, when whilst it's churning and as i said not getting in the way of the users and adopting a regime where you can keep an evergreen picture of it and identify yeah. changes you know and then then talk about the changes so what does an evergreen program like that look like i mean how do we how do we put that together yeah we um we we, t- we begin to talk about and the regulation starts to talk about things like data maps and data inventories. Um, the, I, I struggle a little bit with data maps because, particularly in the legal world, it's a kind of an interview process. I say, "Hey, Chris, what information do you keep? Where do you put it?" And you, you tell me. I don't know seventy percent of what you can remember. Maybe you remember the next ten percent in a week's time. But, but, but the problem is, what do you do tomorrow? Is almost completely different. And so, we think for unstructured data, particularly because remember we said dark data doesn't have a label on it and is forgotten about. Um, one just needs to monitor the data as it sits in place, on the ground, wherever it is stored, and, and apply some algorithms to it to, to surface the nature of that data. We happen to develop some approaches um, which algorithm, algorithmically score that data so you can watch the score and then identify hmm. the change. And the key point here is you mentioned filing cabinets, you know, a, a folder, a share, an email, mailbox. If that score radically changes over a week, over a month in that environment, you at least should be having a conversation with the data owner about why, and it might be just fine. But that it it, it right. and that enables one to understand, as I said, not get in the way of the practice. If you've got in place the, the 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 basics on the on the perimeter, it's the understanding of that of those of why that happened, when it's appropriate, when it's not, what business what business function generated it, and then you know I think what's really interesting. You can talk about competitive advantage. These conversations often yield a discussion about, oh wow, so you did a new thing there. Oh, maybe we can lean on that and do more with it. So it's not just a compliance thing. I think it's just about understanding the way business works with data, and that's where the dark data thing comes from. And and the zeroness of it. Let's not have dark data. Let's understand the why of what we're doing with it.
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, that makes that makes complete sense. So I've got a law firm. You know, twenty lawyers, various staff or whatever. Whose job should this be? Who 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 should we charge with the role of making
2: sure that we've got good Protection of unstructured data. I wish I could answer this precisely. Um, you you frame it down to such a small organisation, it makes me think. Oh, Chris, that's that's tough. So I'm going to build this up a little bit. Okay, and I'll that's pick fine. And, pick on two roles, maybe three. Yeah, I think think about three. Back where I came in the air force, there are records managers. These records managers were good at filing cabinets, and 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 I, I think in legal firms you have support support people who 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 do equivalent jobs if not record managers themselves. These people, their domain shouldn't just be in paper. So so these people understand data and so they they should be the they, these people or their equivalents, those roles or equivalents should be the people interpreting and monitoring that score I talked about earlier. I think it is the CIO's responsibility to provide a service to generate that score, to to build and maintain the inventory. And then I talk about the owners. And so in the legal firm, I've always found this tough. The partners of the people that I think own that data um, for their clients in a way. So so you need someone who's going to engage in that data. Well, partners need to sponsor this. That who's going to engage in the data on behalf of the partner? And that's the one I'm struggling a little bit in a legal firm. Yeah, you know. So if if IT if the CIO generates a score and says, um, "It looks like guys." you've been doing some interesting stuff for your data. Who responds to that from the, on the behalf of the partner? Is it their secretary? It depends on the number of people. You know, in, sure. in, in, a, in a larger organization, you would have someone responsible in a business function, uh, an SME or a, a power user who, who would respond to that. Maybe there's an equivalent in the law firm. I think I've struggled in my heart to, in my time to sort of bridge that gap for smaller organizations.
1: Yeah, no, I think there are, and I think each each organization would call it something different. But I think your explanation will help the listener kind of figure out who that is in their business. You mentioned earlier when we were talking about regulation and regulated businesses, and the law is a self-regulating business to some extent, and and you know self-regulating with the bar looking over our shoulders, and states are also enacting policies that like the CCP CCPA that will impact these law firms um, as well as other businesses. How can the leaders of the firm stay on top of these regs so they know they're in compliance?
2: <laughs> yeah, um, that... The- this one I've been asked a couple of times. i still not come up with an awesome answer from the top down. Um, what I would point out, Chris, is there are some common core to this. No matter how diverse the regulations appear, there are some common cores to it. I like to think about identity and consent. And then whether the, whether the CCPA takes a particular view on consent versus the GDPR on on um, on the management of identity, um, yeah, those, those appear to me to be the two core elements. And so I think... Well, it's about controlling your policies. Need to concern yourself with those principles so that you can map them out to the particular to, to the particular regulation. So if I translate that back down to um, the examples I gave earlier on, when you're monitoring one's data, what you should be looking across your unstructured data for the presence of um, identities in that data where you don't intend it to be, and the understanding that you have those things and putting in place the the controls to manage those things can then be mapped to the particular requirements of CCPA or GDPR specifically. So you've got to boil it down and abstract it away from the particular law. Someone though, I'm afraid, does have to own that mapping somehow. I'm sure there's an outsourced service for that. I certainly know I have someone in my organization that um, is responsible for saying, here's how the laws map up and sort of line up together somehow. It's a tough ask though, that's for sure. Sure It is a one-to-many though, I would point out, you know, the policies you could have fewer policies mapping to many regulations.
1: Yeah, of course. Makes total sense. So let, let, before we go, we've kind of been a little bit doom and gloom. We've kind of been a little bit like fear and, and, and fix in our discussion. But there is a, there's a flip side to this, because if few firms or fewer firms are paying attention to it today, is there a competitive advantage of having a proactive data strategy for the firms that do?
2: I always think about this one because, as, as you rightly say, um, it's a sort of carrot and stick, isn't it? Better to have a carrot than a, than, than rely on a stick. And I think any organisation, reputation is right at the heart and centre of all organisations these days. And, and, and surely the small law firm like you've been describing um, – even more so. So any organization that needs to to sort of stay ahead these days needs to attend to its reputation, particularly in the light of the regulation you've been talking about. And i say there's no better place to start than being a good data steward. And we've been really talking about data stewardship. I think it enhances your brand. I think you can brag about it. And I think there's operational and, and... cost benefits there as well. It reduces the impact of compliance itself, and it reduces the eventual cost of a data loss. Now, that, that's a little bit of insurance, which can be challenging. Um, there is often a measurable reduction in storage service and operating costs as well. I don't like to talk about that one so much, but you, you do see those cost reductions. What I would say then is when, the, when an organization engages in zero dark data and these sorts of things, they begin to develop a competency and they learn how to improve improve the veracity of their, their 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 case records management and their ability to respond to requests by ensuring that they've got a complete Picture of all their data, their case-related information. That that means you can respond better, better and faster to the questions you're asked. It means you um, can ensure that you've always got a complete record of, uh, or a more complete record of client data. I, I hope I don't offend people there, but I'm going to stick my neck out and say that while you might think you have all of the case data, I'm going to say you don't, and I'm <laughs> going to say that you need to be pulling it in. What I'd step even further. What we've seen is organisations who really get on top of this can start to advise their customers on how to involve and and demonstrate the same practices themselves. And I think these principles are now universal. And I think law firms are in a great place with the client confidence they have to begin to develop and, and, and sort of provide a blueprint for their customers on how, they can be good data stewards and how, and how that relates to their business as well. So I, that, that's a model, as, that's as far as I've got in, in, in reasoning this down to the type of law firm you're talking about.
1: Yeah, no, and I think I think that's a beautiful place to, to bring it. And it also happens to be where we end the show. So um, we are going to here wrap up this edition of the Unbillable Hour. So thank you to our listeners and of course to our guest today. He's been Rich, or no, he hasn't been, he is. Rich Hale, <laughs> uh, he's the Chief Technology Officer of ActiveNow. Um, Rich, if people are interested, fascinated, confused by what
2: we've been talking about and want to learn more, how can they reach out to you? They, they could hit me at rich.hale at activenav.com. I will always take an email. And they should go visit um, activenav.com and see some of the information we have there. Take a look at some of our case studies and, and ask a question um, on, on the website and um, our team will pick it up and reach straight out to you. And we have experience um, across the industry in the stuff we've been talking about and um, um, we can certainly provide advice and, and if not, take it further.
1: Super, Give you that website one more time? Activenav.com. Very good. Thank you. Um, So yeah, that's been Rich Hale. And I am Christopher T. Anderson. And I look forward to seeing you next month with another great guest as we learn more about topics that help us build the law firm business that works for you. Remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. Thank you for joining us. We will
0: speak again soon. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own, and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. Join us again for the next edition, right here with Legal Talk Network.
1: Launch now at pli.edu interactive or download PLI's mobile app.